Section 18 of the Convivio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Convivio by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Treatise 4, Chapters 18 through 22. Chapter 18. The preceding chapter brings us to define how every moral virtue rises out of one principle that is to say a right and habitual selection and that is what the present text implies up to that part which begins i affirm that nobility in its constituent essence in this part when we proceed by way of probable inference to learn that every virtue named above taken severally or generally proceeds from nobility as effect from cause and this is supported by a philosophical proposition which declares that when two things are found to agree in anything they must both be reduced to some third thing or one of them reduced to the other as effect to cause because one characteristic primarily and essentially possessed can only pertain to one thing and if these two were not both the effect of some third nor one the effect of the other then both of them would possess this characteristic primarily and essentially which is impossible it says then that nobility and virtue such as we are discussing namely moral virtue agree in this that the one and the other implies praise in him of whom it is asserted and this when it says wherefore in one same implication the two agree being to one effect that is to say the ascription of them to any one implies praise of him and the belief that he is prized and then it draws the conclusion on the strength of the above noted proposition and says that the one must needs proceed from the other or both from a third and adds that it is rather to be presumed that one comes from the other than that both come from a third if it appears that the one implies as much as the other and more yet and this is what this line affirms but if one signifies all that the other signifies where you are to know that at this point the argument does not proceed by necessary demonstration as though we should say if it is cold that begets water and if we see the clouds etc but expresses a fair and fitting induction for if there are in us sundry things worthy of praise and if there also is in us the principle whence praise of us flows it is reasonable to reduce the former to the latter and it is more reasonable to regard that which embraces several things as their principle than to regard them as its principle for the stem of the tree which embraces all the other limbs should be called the principle and cause of them and not they of it and thus nobleness which comprehends every virtue as cause comprehends effect and many other praiseworthy activities of ours as well ought so to be so regarded as that virtue should be reduced to it rather than to some third thing that may be in us finally it says that what has now been expressed to wit that every moral virtue comes from one root and moral virtue as above declared agrees in one thing with nobility so that the one must be reduced to the other or both to a third and that if the one means all that which the other does and more the latter proceeds from the former rather than from some other third is all to be presupposed that is to say is ordered and prepared for what is further in view and so ends this verse in this present section chapter nineteen now that in the preceding section three certain things have been decided which were necessary in order to learn how we might define this excellent thing of which we are speaking it behoves us to proceed to the following section which begins gentlehood is wherever there is virtue and this must be reduced to two sections in the first a certain thing is proved which was touched upon but left unproved before in the second the conclusion is reached and that definition which we are seeking is found and this second part begins therefore shall be evolved like purse from black 
to make the first section evident we are to recall what was said above that if nobleness has a larger scope and extent than virtue virtue will rather proceed from it which thing to wit that nobility has a wider extent is proved in this section and it gives an illustration from the heaven saying that wherever virtue is there is nobleness and here be it known that according as is written in reason and is held as the rule of reason those things which are obvious in themselves have no need of proof and nothing is more obvious than that there is nobleness where there is virtue and it is a matter of common observation that everything after its own nature can be called noble it says then even as the heaven is wherever is the star but this is not true conversely viz that wherever the heaven is there the star is also just so there is nobleness wherever there is virtue but not virtue wherever there is nobleness and this with a fair and congruous illustration for in truth it is a heaven in which many and diverse stars shine the intellectual and the moral virtues shine in it good dispositions given by nature shine in it to wit tenderness and religion and the praiseworthy emotions to wit shame and compassion and many others there shine in it the excellencies of the body to wit beauty strength and so to speak unbroken health and so many are the stars that extend over this heaven that verily it is no matter for wonder if they make many and diverse fruits grow on human nobleness so many are their natural characteristics and potentialities comprised and united in one simple substance and in them as in diverse branches it bears diverse fruits nay in very truth i dare to affirm that human nobleness considered under the aspect of its many fruits surpasses that of the angel although the angelic be more divine in its unity of this our nobleness which fructifies in such and in so many fruits the psalmist was aware when he composed that psalm which begins o lord our god how wonderful is thy name throughout the earth where he extols man as though marveling at the divine affection for the human creature saying what is man that thou god visitest him thou hast made him but little less than the angels with glory and with honor thou hast crowned him and set him over the works of thy hands verily then it was a beauteous and congruous comparison of the heaven to human nobleness then when it says and we in women and in youthful age it proves that which i say showing that nobleness extends itself to a region where virtue does not and it says that we perceive this saving thing which refers to nobleness which is indeed a truly saving thing to exist where there is sensitiveness to shame that is fear of dishonor as in women and in young folk where shame is good and laudable which shame is not a virtue but a certain estimable emotion and it says and we in women and in youthful age that is in young people because according as the philosopher hath it in the fourth of the ethics shame is not laudable nor becoming in old men nor in studious folk because it behoves them to guard against those things which would cause them shame of young people and of women not so much of this line of conduct is required and therefore in them the fear of encountering disgrace through some fault is laudable for it comes from nobleness and their fear may be regarded as nobleness just as impudence is baseness and ignobleness wherefore it is a good and most excellent sign of nobleness in children and those of unripe age when shame is painted in their faces after a fault for then it is the fruit of true nobleness chapter twenty when there follows next therefore shall be evolved as purse from black the text proceeds to that definition of nobility which we are seeking and whereby we may perceive what this nobleness of which so many folks speak erroneously really is it affirms then drawing the conclusion from what has already been said that every virtue or their generic kind namely the elective habit consisting in the mean will proceed from this to wit from nobleness 
and it takes an illustration from the colors saying that as purse derives from black so does it namely virtue derive from nobleness purse is a color mingled of purple and of black but the black predominates and it is called after it and thus virtue is a thing combined of nobleness and emotion but because the nobleness predominates over the other virtue is called after it and is named goodness and so it goes on to argue from what has been said that no one because he can say i am of such and such a race should believe that he has nobleness unless these fruits are in him and straightway it gives the reason saying that those who have this grace to wit this divine thing are almost like gods without taint of vice and this gift can be given by none save god alone with whom there is no selection of persons as the divine scriptures make manifest nor let any deem it too lofty an utterance when it says for they are well nigh gods for as argued above in the seventh chapter of the third treatise just as there are men most base and bestial so there are men most noble and divine and aristotle proves this in the seventh of the ethics by the text of the poet homer wherefore let not him of the uberti of florence nor him of the visconti of milan say because i am of such a race i am noble for the divine seed falls not upon the race that is the stock but falls upon the several persons and as will be shown below the stock does not ennoble the several persons but the several persons ennoble the stock then when it says for god alone presents it to the soul the discourse turns to the receptive being that is the subject whereon this divine gift descends for it is in truth a divine gift according to the word of the apostle every best gift and every perfect gift cometh from above descending from the father of lights it says then that god alone gives the grace to the soul of that man whom he sees perfectly balanced in his person and ready and disposed to receive this divine act for as the philosopher says in the second of the soul things must needs be in the right disposition for their agents in order to be acted on by them wherefore if the soul takes not its perfect stand it is not so disposed as to receive this blessed and divine infusion just as if a precious stone be ill disposed or imperfect it cannot receive the celestial virtue as said the noble guido guinizelli in an ode of his which begins to the gentle heart love repaireth ever it is possible then that the soul stands not well in the person through defect of complexion and perhaps through defect of season and in such as these this divine ray never glows and such whose soul is deprived of this light may say that they are like valleys turned to the north or caves beneath the earth where the light of the sun never descends unless thrown back from some other region whereon it shines finally it draws the conclusion and declares according to what has been said above namely that the virtues are the fruit of nobleness which god implants in the mind that sits rightly that there are some namely those who have understanding which are few to whom the seed of blessedness draws nigh and it is evident that human nobleness is naught else than the seed of blessedness draws nigh dispatched by god into the well-placed soul that is the soul whose body is perfectly disposed in every part for if the virtues are the fruit of nobleness and if blessedness is the fruition of sweetness it is manifest that this nobleness is the sower of blessedness as has been said and if well considered this definition embraces all the four causes to wit material formal efficient and final material inasmuch as it says into the well-placed soul which is the material and subject of nobleness formal inasmuch as it says that it is the seed efficient inasmuch as it says dispatched by god into the soul final inasmuch as it says of blessedness and thus is defined this excellence of ours which descends into us after the fashion of a supreme and spiritual virtue as virtues into the stone from the noblest celestial body chapter twenty one 
in order to understand the human excellence which is called nobleness as the principle of all good in us we are to elucidate in this special chapter how this excellence descends into us and first in the natural way and then in the theological that is the divine and spiritual way to begin with we are to know that man is composed of soul and of body but that which has been declared to resemble the seed of the divine virtue pertains to the soul it is true that diverse reasonings have been held by philosophers concerning the difference of our souls for avicenna and algazel would have it that they in themselves and in their principle were noble or base plato and others would have it that they proceeded from the stars and were noble more or less according to the nobleness of the star pythagoras would have it that all were of like nobleness and not only the human souls but together with the human those of the brute animals and of the plants and the forms of the minerals and he said that all the difference was in the bodily forms if each were to defend his own opinion it might be that truth would be seen to exist in all of them but inasmuch as on the surface they appear somewhat remote from the truth it is better not to proceed by way of them but by way of the opinion of aristotle and of the peripatetics and therefore i say that when the human seed falls into its receptacle that is into the matrix it bears with it the virtue of the generative soul and the virtue of heaven and the virtue of the elements it combines that is to say its complexion and it matures and disposes the material for the formative virtue which the soul of the generator gave and the formative virtue prepares the organs for the celestial virtue which draws the soul from the potentiality of the seed into life and the moment it is produced it receives from the virtue of the mover of the heaven the possible intellect which potentially draws into itself all the universal forms according as they exist in its producer but in a lesser degree in proportion as it is more removed from the prime intelligence let no man marvel if i speak in such wise as seems hard to understand for to me myself it seems a marvel how such a producing can be arrived at by argument and perceived by the intellect and it is not a thing to expound in language i mean in any language truly vernacular wherefore i would say like the apostle o height of the wealth of the wisdom of god how incomprehensible are thy judgments and thy ways past finding out and because the complexion of the seed may be more or less good and the disposition of the sower may be more or less good and the disposition of the heaven for the effect may be good better or best since it varies by reason of the constellations which are continually changing it comes to pass that from human seed and from these virtues the soul is produced more or less pure and according to its purity there descends into it the possible intellectual virtue which has been spoken of and in the way spoken of and if it chance that because of the purity of the receiving soul the intellectual virtue is well abstracted and absolved from every corporeal shade the divine excellence is multiplied in it as in a thing sufficient for its reception and hence there is multiplication of this intelligence in the soul according as it may receive it and this is that seed of felicity of which at present we are speaking and this harmonizes with the opinion of tully in that of old age where speaking in the person of cato he says wherefore a celestial soul descended into us coming down from the loftiest of habitations into a place which is counter to the divine nature and to eternity and in this such soul there exists its own proper virtue and the intellectual virtue and the divine to wit that influence of which we have just been speaking wherefore it is written in the book of causes every noble soul has three activities to wit the animal the intellectual and the divine and there are some of such opinion as to say that if all the preceding virtues were to accord in the production of a soul in their best disposition that so much of the deity would descend thereon that it would almost be another incarnate god and this is almost all that can be said by way of natural science 
by way of theological science it may be said that when the supreme deity that is god sees his creature prepared to receive of his benefaction he commits to it as largely thereof as it is prepared to receive and because these gifts come from the ineffable love and the divine love is appropriated to the holy spirit they are thence called gifts of the holy spirit the which as isaiah the prophet distinguishes them are seven to wit wisdom understanding counsel strength knowledge piety and fear of god o fair grain and fair and marvellous seed and o admirable and benign sower who waitest only until human nature prepare the land for thee to sow o blessed they who fittingly cultivate such seed and here be it known that the first and noble shoot which sprouts from this seed to bear fruit is mental appetite which in greek is called hormen and if this be not well cultivated and kept straight by good habit little avails the seed and better would it be had it not been sown at all and therefore saint augustine lays it down and also aristotle in the second of the ethics that man should accustom himself to well-doing and to restraining his passions in order that this shoot that has been spoken of may grow strong by good habit and may be inured in its straightness so that it may bear fruit and from its fruit may issue the sweetness of human felicity chapter twenty two it is enjoined by the moral philosophers who have spoken of benefactions that man ought to bestow thought and care on making the benefits he confers as useful as may be to the receiver wherefore i desiring to be obedient to such command purpose to render this my banquet to every one of its parts as useful as shall be possible to me and since it here occurs to me that there is place for some discourse of the sweetness of human felicity i conceive that no more useful discourse can be made for those who know it not for as saith the philosopher in the first of the ethics and tully in that of the goal of good he makes ill progress toward the goal who does not see it and in like manner he can advance but ill towards this sweetness who was not first aware of what it is wherefore inasmuch as it is our final solace for which we live and accomplish whatsoever we do it is most useful and necessary to perceive this goal in order to direct the bow of our activity toward it and he is chiefly acceptable who points it out to those who see it not letting be then the opinion on this matter which the philosopher epicurus had and that which zeno had i purpose to come at once to the true opinion of aristotle and of the other peripatetics as said above from the divine excellence sown and infused into us from the beginning of our generation there springs a shoot which the greeks called hormon that is natural appetite of the mind and as the grains which when born have at first an almost identical appearance while yet in the blade and then as they go forward become unlike so this natural appetite which rises from the divine grace first appears not unlike that which comes just from nature stripped of aught else and like the blade of diverse grains is almost identical with it and this likeness is not confined to men but extends to men and to beasts alike and this appears herein that every animal as soon as it is born whether rational or brute loves itself and fears and flees those which are counter to it and hates them then as things proceed there begins as said above to be unlikeness between them in the progress of this appetite for one takes one path and another another as saith the apostle many run for the prize but one is he who receives it so these human appetites proceed from their starting point along diverse paths and one only path is that which will lead us to our peace and therefore letting be all others our treatise is to hold after the one that begins aright 
i say then that from the beginning it loves itself although without discrimination then it comes to distinguish the things which are most pleasant and less and more detestable and flows and flees in greater and less degree according as its consciousness distinguishes not only in other things which it loves secondarily but just in itself which it loves primarily and recognizing in itself diverse parts it loves those in itself most which are most noble and since the mind is a more noble part of man than the body it loves that more and thus loving itself primarily and other things for its own sake the loving the better part of itself better it is clear that it loves the mind better than the body or aught else which mind it ought by nature to love more than aught else wherefore if the mind always delights in the exercise of the thing it loves which is the fruition of love exercise in that thing which it loves most is the most delightful the exercise of our mind then is most delightful to us and that which is most delightful to us constitutes our felicity and our blessedness beyond which there is no delight nor any equal to it as may be seen by whoso well considers the preceding argument and let not any say that every appetite is mental for here mind is taken only to mean that which has respect to the rational part that is the will and the intellect so that if any one should choose to call the sensitive appetite mind his objection would not and could not apply to the present matter for none doubts that the rational appetite is more noble than the sensitive and therefore more to be loved and so that is the thing of which we are now speaking it is true that the exercise of our mind is twofold to wit practical and speculative practical is as much to say operative the one and the other most delightful though that of contemplation be more so as was declared above the practical exercise of the mind consists in ourselves working virtuously that is in integrity with prudence with temperance with courage and with justice the speculative exercise of the mind consists not in working ourselves at all but in considering the works of god and of nature and this and that exercise constitute as may be perceived our blessedness and our supreme felicity and this is the sweetness of the above-mentioned seed as is now quite evident where too many times such seed attains not by reason that it is ill cultivated and that its shoots go astray in like manner by much correction and cultivation some portion of the outgrowth of this seed may be so led to a place where it did not originally fall as to come to this fruit and this is as it were a kind of engrafting of another nature on to a diverse root and so there is none who can be excused for if a man hath not this seed from his natural root he may at least have it by the way of engrafting would that in fact they were as many who had engrafted it on themselves as are they who have let themselves straggle away from the good root but in truth the one of these exercises is more full of blessedness than the other to wit the speculative which without any admixture is the exercise of our most noble part which by reason of that fundamental love which has been spoken of it is chiefly to be loved to wit the intellect and this part cannot in this life have its perfect exercise which is to see god who is the supreme object of the intellect save in so far as the intellect considers him and contemplates him through his effects and that we should supremely demand the blessedness and not the other to wit that of the active life the gospel of mark instructs us if we would rightly consider it mark says that mary magdalene and james's mary and mary salome went to find the saviour at the tomb and found him not but found a man dressed in white who said to them ye seek the saviour and i say unto you that he is not here nevertheless fear ye not but go and say to his disciples and to peter that he will go before them in galilee and there ye shall see him as he said unto you by these three ladies may be understood the three schools of the active life to wit the epicureans the stoics and the peripatetics who go to the tomb that is to the present world which is the receptacle of corruptible things 
and demand the saviour that is blessedness and find not but they find a man in white garments who according to the testimony of matthew and also of the others was the angel of god and therefore matthew said the angel of god descended from the heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it and his aspect was as lightning and his garments were as snow this angel is the nobleness of ours which comes from god as has been said which speaks in our reason and declares to each one of these schools that it is to every one who goes seeking blessedness in the active life that it is not there but go your way and tell the disciples and peter that is those who go seeking it and those who have gone astray as peter did when he denied him that he will go before them in galilee that is to say that blessedness will go before them in galilee that is in speculation galilee is as much as to say whiteness and whiteness is a color full of material light more than any other and in like manner contemplation is fuller of spiritual light than aught else which is here below and it says and will go before you and does not say and will be with you to give to understand that god is ever in advance of our contemplation nor ever can we here come up with him who is our supreme blessedness and it says and there ye shall see him as he said that is and there ye will have of his sweetness that is of felicity as has been promised to you here that is to say as it has been covenanted for you to have power to obtain and thus it appears that our blessedness which is this felicity of which is the discourse we can first find imperfect in the active life that is in the activities of the moral virtues and then perfectly in a way in the activities of the intellectual the which two activities are the quickest and straightest ways to lead us to the supreme blessedness which may not here be had as appears by what has been said end of section eighteen